It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo's here. I'm Bob Wankel, and we have quite a bit to talk about, Anthony. I was on vacation last week. We were not able to schedule and, and kind of sync schedules here this past week, so it's been a while since we've last recorded. But boy, oh boy, do we have a good show for everybody uh, today off of a disastrous weekend for the Phillies. And a quasi-disastrous weekend for Philadelphia, or at least Philly sports media. Uh, so there is a lot to jump into here uh, in today's show. And uh, I guess let's just get right to it. I mean, the Phillies were a mess this weekend, but that's not even where I want to start with this show. We will get there. So if you're just here for Phillies talk and you want to know what the hell happened this weekend... Bear with us, we will get there. You can fast forward probably about 15, 20 minutes ahead, and we will dive into all of that. But because we are both crossing broad guys uh, and we kind of dabble in the in the media stuff, I think we have to start with what went down on Saturday night, and you just happened to be there. So I guess let's just get into it. Um, Phillies lose 6-2 to the Cubs. It's a bad loss. Nick Castellanos goes over. He gets booed. After the game, you're in the clubhouse. And why don't you set the scene for us and kind of just walk through what happened, and then we'll try to parse through this whole, this whole catastrophe. Yeah, to be honest with you, I wasn't even expecting to get Castellanos. Um, you know, we, we had done we had done Wheeler. We had talked to Reese Hoskins. Um, I, we were actually, I, I, you know, we had asked for, uh, I believe, Bohm too and like i was like okay well at least we could talk to alec bohm he makes the error in the 10th inning and you know maybe the other play he could have had if he was a little bit more of a, a, a adept fielder at third base so i'm sitting there thinking about things i'm going to ask alec bohm because i thought that was at least an angle to go toward and then all of a sudden castellanos comes out of the shower and all the cameras start going over and i'm like oh, okay i guess we're gonna go talk to castellanos so <laughs> so we go over to talk to him and um Jim Salisbury from, you know, uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia starts asking him questions. And I believe the first one was just about, you know, the continued struggles and, and that. And, um, and, and you, can, you know, you can see Castellanos, and you know how he is. He doesn't give long answers. He gives two, three-word answers. He tries to be, you know, be a bro. Uh, and that's just kind of how he is, right? Um, and so then uh, I, I guess in the middle of the questions, and it's, it's purely Jimmy at this point. I mean, nobody else is asking you anything. Um, Jimmy says, uh, did you hear the, did you hear the booze out there? And it's, it's one of those conversational questions that gets asked sometimes in the middle of an exchange between a writer and, and, and a subject. And of course, Cassianos gives a smart ass answer. And the smart ass answer is no, I lost my hearing, right? Or lost my sense of hearing. Salisbury laughs at it. Like, I mean, like, I think Jimmy initially thought it was like, a playful exchange. 
But then Cassianos responds with, that's a stupid question. And now all of a sudden it's like, what, what, what do you mean it's a stupid? Why is it a stupid question? And then he turns to the rest of us and goes, will someone here please explain to him why that's a stupid question? Now, of course, none of us are going to respond, right? It's not our place to, to answer for the player. Um, and, and so it kind of becomes a little bit of a back and forth between them. Then there's like silence for like five seconds. It's really awkward. And the PR guy, uh, Kevin Gregg, says, do we have anything else? Now, this is where, you know, I think that my, my belief is, well, you got to keep, keep this it going, going. right? Yeah. I mean, something's got to, we got to see if something comes to this. So I just ask a stupid question. I mean, I, in my mind, is a stupid question. But at the same time, just to keep the conversation going, saying, hey, listen, you know, I'm sure you've been through slumps before. I'm sure, you know, you've been booed before. How have you handled it in the past? And, you know, what can you do this time to kind of make it different? And he gives me a stupid answer or whatever, just, you know, just as stupid as my question. That allows Salisbury to ask another question. And, and I thought that maybe that was the best answer that Castellanos gave all night when he compared it to his time in the first year in Cincinnati, you know, coming into a new city, new team, new structure, new everything. Uh, it took a little bit of time for him to get started, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, that's at least a fair answer. And I'm thinking to myself, that's something we can go with. But the, the interview's, like, over. Okay, everybody's like, is that it? Okay, good. We all thanked him. Thanks, Nick. Sure, no problem. Right, cameras come down. So Jimmy looks around, makes sure the cameras are off. And then he goes back to Cassianos. Like, he wants to talk to him about calling it a stupid question. Well, then it kind of blows up pretty quick. Little do we all know. And I'm standing there like a dope right between the two of them. Right? Little do we know that the Channel 6 camera is still rolling. Now, he didn't have it up on his shoulder. If you look, the angle that he's holding it, it's a little bit down. So it's like he's got it in his hand, but he never turned it off. Now, is that a veteran move by the cameraman? Is that a, is that a slimy move by the camera? We can talk about that, right? So that's happening. Everything gets caught. And then it ends pretty quickly. I mean, Kevin Gregg kind of shuts it down. I was just kind of standing there like, if this comes to blow, somebody else is going to have to get in between. I'm like, you know, maybe you grab Nick, I'll grab Jimmy. Like, well, we'll kind of, if I had to, like kind of thing. I, I didn't know what to do. Um, and that was it. Then it was over. And then I'm walking out with Salisbury, and I'll, I'll, I want to tell the whole story here. I want everybody to know. I'm walking out with Salisbury, and, and, and I'm, I sympathize with him. I said, Jimmy, I said, I've been through that before, man. Like I said, you know, I've 22 years covering hockey. I've had guys come at me like that. And, and I said, you know, I stand up for the questions that I ask. I said, I, you know, I appreciate you standing up for the question you ask. And at first, like, you know, you know Jimmy's like, yeah, I don't want to be part of this. I don't want this to be a story. And I was like, no, no, I'm, of course not. I'm not going to make any story out of it. Like, and, and I never had an intention of writing anything about it. I'm on the car ride home, and my phone starts blowing up that I'm in this video that Channel 6 put out. Then our boy Kyle Pagan tweets it out with mentioning my name. I'm like, oh, shit. Here we go. And, it, and then yesterday, it turned into like this whole thing with Gelb and Jamie, we got to get into all that. And I'm like, oh my God, this, this right, stupid, so innocuous, non-story became a story. It's funny because you text me, like people now listening to this, maybe for the first time don't know this, we're both covering the Phillies now. I've come off of a, you know, the every night thing down there. You're taking on a lot of this now. So you're down there Saturday night, I'm not. Uh, and you send me a text message 
and you say, hey, just a heads up, you know, Castellanos and Jim, they got into it a little bit tonight. You won't, you know, you won't see anything about it. You know, it's done with. It happens all the time. No big deal. So I go to bed like 10 minutes later and I wake up the next morning and I open up Twitter right away and I see the crossing broad tweet from Jamie Apodi kind of embedded in and I'm like, oh God, here we go. So there's so much to unpack about this and I want to talk about Matt Gelb. I want to talk about Jamie Apodi. I want to talk about Channel 6. But let's start with, I think, what is the biggest debate here. And I thought about it. I watched the exchange, and I obviously had the full context listening to you. And I made a mistake. I, I tweeted yesterday that I didn't think it was a big deal. I just said I thought it was kind of a, a basic entry-level question, and I don't think that he was really trying to provoke Nick Castellanos. And that was met with significant blowback and you know I then followed up and and what I really should not have done was this I said if you are pushing back against this there's probably three explanations like maybe you do have like some genuine curiosity or questions about the phrasing of the question and that's fair but I think that a lot of people were like you know damn reporters useless media like I do think that there are a lot of people that when you have things like this happen it's a great opportunity to pounce and then I think that there's a lot of people out there that feel like we should be helping the team and questions like that aren't productive for a struggling player. And I use the word fanboy, and I know that can be a little bit condescending, and I probably should not have used that word. But I, I felt that, the, I, I guess at the end of the day, I was surprised that as many people were as critical of the question as, pos as, as they were. So let me ask you this. You are the veteran reporter, and I think that anybody listening to this needs to understand some context. Anthony's been doing this for a very long time. He's he's the best Flyers reporter in the city. I'm a guy that's been doing this for a, a few years now, only the Phillies, and I am not... Uh, I don't fancy myself as a reporter by trade. I just don't. Um, I, I, I kind of consider myself more of as, as a baseball writer than I do as a reporter. Uh, but we have access. I'm down there. I'll ask questions occasionally. So, Anthony, like... As the guy that has that strong journalism background, I mean, what did you think of the question? Was it fair? Should it have been worded differently? I mean, what do you think here? I, I was perfectly fine with the question in the context that it was. And I think that part of the blow-up comes, Bob, because the initial video that was put out was an edited video. And it was not, an, it was not intentionally edited to make it look, like, look bad. It was edited just for, for brevity, in all honesty. I mean, if I'm, I don't think Channel 6 had anything, there was anything nefarious there. Um, so a lot of people just think that, like, that was the first question Jimmy asks. So if, if it was, like, if, you, if that's the first question, if that was really what it was, then I'd say, okay, maybe, maybe you take a different approach. But in the, in the context of how he was asking questions, I didn't have a problem with it being one of five or six rapid questions that he asked, and it was somewhere in the middle. I mean, it's just kind of... He's trying to get Nick to paint a picture of his own perspective of what it's like to be struggling the way he is and not producing the way he's expected to produce. Yeah, I mean, the story and here, I right? Like, the story is that you, you bring this guy in for $100 million. He was supposed to be the, the missing piece, the, the guy that takes this lineup from being, you know, pretty good to potentially elite. And yeah. you get to the All-Star break, a few days to kind of reset – Hey, maybe he'll really hit his stride in the second half. I know it's only, at this point, two games in. But it just looks like the exact same thing. 
and now he's getting crushed out there by the fans. And, like, that is a story. Yeah, like, I know, it goes without saying, one of the things I heard a dozen times yesterday was, like, obviously he's upset. Nobody's more upset than Nick Castellanos. Yeah, okay, like, I agree with that. But the story here is that you have a struggling player who's now starting to get it from this fan base. How do you feel about it? And And the question then becomes, why didn't Jim just say, you were booed tonight, how does it make you feel? But, like, as you know, like, there is, like, some progression to this thing, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of, like, a a lead-in. I called it, like, an entry point question. And people don't want to hear that, and that's fine. And I'm not telling you that, like, oh, as a reporter, you've got to understand that that's the way it's done. But, like, you know, this idea that it was supposed to be completely inflammatory right off the bat, like, I I just don't view it that way. To what end? What's he trying to gain? So, so... What I what I would say to that, Bob, and, and I think that I think that you you're saying it exactly right. But I think maybe to make people understand, or maybe try and get them to come on board a little bit more, is you have to understand, especially in baseball, maybe more so than any other sport, you're with these guys nine months a year, ten months a year, from middle of February down in in uh, spring training all the way through to the end of the end of September, maybe even October, depending on how good the team is, and you're around them every day. The, the media gets called down there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a 7 o'clock start. Maybe people don't realize that, right? So you're there from 3 in the afternoon until after midnight most nights. So it's like 9, 10, 11 hours a day, every day for 10, 11 months. Eventually, you know, you're going to get tired of people or get frustrated with people. And sometimes that stuff happens. And I get it. And it's part of, it's part of the job, you know. We're poking and prodding, and you get tired of being poked and prodded, you know. I, and and there's going to be a little back and forth. So I, I understand it from that perspective that players can get a little testy in that regard. So if you if you're the Jim Salisbury in this case, you look, you say, okay, how how can I get to that point? How can I get to the tougher question without going right at it and getting him and making him be on guard right from the beginning? You know, let's talk team struggle first, which I think the first question was, if I remember correctly, it was more about the team struggling than it was Nick struggling. And then there was a second question about, you know, hey, you know, you're still, uh, still fighting it a little bit. And then he goes, did you hear the booze? Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's almost like we, we're trying to work our way in. Just And that's how you have a conversation with people. You don't walk up to somebody that you haven't seen, you know, for several hours and just go, hey, boom, and start right there. It doesn't... There is there is a lead in, so that's all it is, and it's not. It's just it's just a journalistic. T- so one of the things that tactic, that I saw a lot, and like, and so I'm trying to bring like the the criticism into this now, um, and and two things I really want to talk about. One, people were like, well, he obviously wanted to make himself the story, and I don't. We don't need to do the personal defense of Jim Salisbury. Like he's a, he's a grown man. I don't need to defend his character. But, like, there is something to be said for the fact that the guy's been around this organization for a long time. He's well-respected by the Phillies PR people, by the the higher-ups in that organization. There's a reason that he breaks a lot of the stories that he does. So, I do think that that is is probably relevant. Like, me getting into that exchange with Nick Castellanos versus Jim Salisbury, like, does it matter? Like, I I don't know, but maybe a little bit. But, like I said, I I don't really need to defend him. The interesting thing, though, is this idea that he wanted to be the story. And and my response to that would be like, well, did he? Because two things here. Number one, it didn't appear in the story that he actually produced. Number two, it doesn't particularly make him look good. I don't think that Jim Salisbury came out of this looking 
like, oh, wow, look at Jim. He really found a way to, to become a, a viral sensation on Sunday. I don't think that that's really to his benefit. And the, the third element of it is, is that NBC Sports Philadelphia didn't benefit from it in any way whatsoever either. So in what way did Jim want to make himself part of the story? Now, do I think that he should have been pointing in Nick Castellano's face? Probably not. I don't. Like, I think that that probably could have been diffused. You you had said, and uh, note this, that, you know, exchanges like that are not totally uncommon. You know, guys go back and forth, and, and that's fine, right? Like, tensions flare, tensions escalate. That's that's cool. But I, I just the whole idea that he wanted to be the story and the reporters want to make themselves a story, that's definitely true in some cases. In this case... There was no benefit for Jim Salisbury to make himself part of the story, so I completely dismiss that idea. Yeah, and, and I would say, I would say this: we've seen in this town a number of media versus player versus manager versus executive confrontations play out. Okay, and I think you could tell when you have guys who are repeat offenders in that in the media in that case it's not because they're asking the tough questions it's because they're a pain in the ass and they're difficult to deal with and they're the ones who like to make themselves part of the story have we had a problem with jim salisbury in the past have we had a jim salisbury run in no unless you're having really? with the juan soto uh, M- mvp balloting <laughs> other than right. that I mean, no, so Salisbury's been covering his team how long? 20-some years? And he's never really had it. So, like, if, if he's a guy who wants to insert himself into a story, wouldn't he have done it by now in his career? Yeah. Why is he picking a random day in July in his 25th year covering a team to, to do it? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So, no, I, I don't think Jimmy's trying so to get into this. So, one of the other things that I heard is that the, the profession always rallies around one another. And, that, like, oh, look at these guys. They're all defending each other. Like, I'm going to be perfectly blunt with you. I started in 2019 at uh, Citizens Bank Park going down there and covering the team. <clears throat> the Phillies have, have been, since I've been there, fairly accommodating. Like, they've given me the access that we've requested. Uh, I've never been denied anything that I've asked for. I haven't asked for a whole lot, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know how to say this because I don't want to paint the wrong picture, but, like, I've, I've eaten dinner with some of these guys occasionally, you know, and have had some, some conversations in passing but, like, in the press box, I don't sit with them. I wouldn't consider myself to be friends with these guys. Uh, I don't have any of their phone numbers. Uh, not to say I don't like them, but, like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know them well enough to say, like, wow, I really like, I really like that guy, you know? Um, I, so, like, I don't feel the need, I guess. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't really feel the need to defend these guys because, like, they've never helped me. It's not, nobody's ever said, hey, Bob, do you want me to send you that sound clip? Like, Jim's never said, like, hey, I, let me, I'll send you that transcription. Like, I've never received help from any of these guys. I haven't asked for it. Don't expect it. And I'm not complaining about it. But, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, I'm not as entrenched in this business that I feel the need to defend the, you know, to defend the profession or to defend these guys, for that matter. I don't really care. I just call it like I see it. In this case, I think there's plenty of times where you could rip the media to shreds. You just said it. There's so many personalities and so many writers in this town that do stupid shit all the time. Ask stupid shit. They just want to inject themselves into the into the conversation, into part of the story. So many of these writers and so many of these radio hosts and 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 personalities, they love reading about themselves on Crossing Broad. 
They do. They love this stuff. They love the fact that they're, they're celebrities in this city to the extent that they are. So I don't feel the need to defend media. I don't, I don't need to, to defend writers. I don't really care. But in this instance, the idea that Jim Salisbury went down to Citizens Bank Park and had a story made up in his head five hours in advance, and he just couldn't wait to crush Nick Castellanos. Give me a break. Yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this. Um, as someone who's been in this spot before, <laughs> in the sense that uh, as, an, as a close observer, um, I'll, take, I'll take people back. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but back uh, probably about 12 years ago, there was in hockey, there was a big blow-up between Mike Richards, uh, when he was the captain of the Flyers, and Sam Carcitti, who at the time was the beat writer at the Inquirer. It took place in Washington, D.C., and it was, it was so bad that uh, Peter Laviolette, who was coach at the time, had to you know, get between them and hold people back. Um, that's how bad it got. I mean, and so it started, it ended, and then it reconvened just like this did, uh, after the cameras went away, and that's when Laviolette had intervened. Well, I took, I said, you know what? This was something that needed to be written about because of how bad it got. And I didn't defend Sam at all. I put, a, I put, I was on a blog. It wasn't in the paper per se, but it was on my blog at the time, at the Daily Times. And I basically, without criticizing Sam directly, I said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an exact transcription of everything that was said and who said it. And I didn't say Sam's name. I put Philadelphia Inquirer. Let the people know you interpret what you want off of it. And it did not, Sam didn't look good. And he was very upset with me that I put it out there that way. But the, the point of it was, was that, look, sometimes you do something stupid. And, and Sam's had, he had to run in with Brett Myers. He had to run in with Ed Wade. So this was a repeat kind of thing with this guy. Um... So I, you know, I don't look to see to defend somebody if they're if they're going to be aggressive, unnecessarily aggressive, or have a, or have an agenda. I don't support that. But do I support doing journalism the way that you've always done it, kind of way? And Jimmy's always asked questions in this way. Yeah, I support that. Absolutely support that. Sometimes the question comes out wonky. Sometimes you know in your head what you want to ask, and then when it comes out of your mouth, it sounds a little awkward. I don't think that was the case here either, to be fair. But, I mean, sometimes that happens. But I think everybody understands it. I think that the subjects understand that you're, what you're trying to get at and you understand that they're going to give you that, that, that breathing room sometimes. But, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to defend it in that regard either. I'm just saying that I, I didn't think it was a story to be Well, oh, so what's interesting, honest. and now I'm looking at the clock as we're talking, and we're 20 minutes into this, and I have a feeling that we're we not... haven't even gotten to, we haven't even gotten to Gelb and the Party. Yeah, so we're going to be doing this for a while. We might have to do, like, three shows this week. We might have to do a part two for the Phillies here. But so there's just so much to unpack, and then it comes back to you talk about the profession and the way it's always been done. And so uh, our boss, Kyle, Kyle Scott, as, as many of you know them, or, or know him, comes out last night and says, you know, banana take here. Phillies beat writers protecting the sanctity of beat writing, shredding TV news hosts for posting video of exchange with reporters that happen in the clubhouse. Classic case of access blurring view groupthink at its finest. So it leads me into the, the next uh, element of this whole uh, drama, which is 
Matt Gelb, uh, who writes for The Athletic, does a nice job there, obviously. He uh, was very critical of Jamie Pody. And as you mentioned, once the uh, exchange ended, uh, one of the camera lights goes off. It appears that everything is done and over with, it, whether it was on the record, off the record, if that's the phrasing you want to use, who knows. But <clears throat> Channel 6's cameras stay on. They catch the rest of this exchange between Castellanos and Salisbury. Lo and behold, an hour or two later, an edited down clip of it comes out on Twitter. Matt was critical of the fact that it was posted in general and was also very upset about the fact that it was, you know, I guess, edited. Um, and so he went to jo Jamie Apodi, called her a disgrace, um, which is very strong in my opinion, if we're being honest. I think that that may not have been the best tack, but whatever. Uh, and so then that set off a whole second fire here. Um, so I guess a few different things. I mean, what are your what are your overall thoughts about the fact that it was posted, that it was uh, the the edited version? What did you think about how Matt handled it? Because um, I, I will tell you, like, if you want me to be critical, like, I've talked to Matt a couple times in passing. Uh, was sat two seats over from yesterday post game. Like, I think Matt's biggest thing, and, and I think he noted this on Twitter, is that like I'll see you down at the ballpark. Like, you're never here. You don't understand what's happening down here. Um, so it just it set off this whole second this whole second mess on Twitter. Philadelphia media was literally eating itself yesterday. So your your thoughts on that? Well, my well, my big my big question for Matt Gelb is why are you commenting if you weren't there? I mean, if you're going to sit there and criticize Jamie for putting this video out and she's not being there, why are you commenting if you weren't there? I mean, I, I look, I know Matt's there 85, 90% of the time. I get it, right? And I'm not criticizing him for that. But what I'm saying is, is that if you're gonna if you're gonna argue that she shouldn't be putting this video out, well then, because she wasn't there, why are you commenting on it in such a in such a vehement way if you weren't there? And then say, oh, come talk to me down at the ballpark where I just happened to not be that night, right? I mean, I mean, I mean so that, I have a problem with that from Matt's perspective. Um, I, I understand what he's saying, but my, what I'm, my my argument then is, is he's basically saying you shouldn't be publishing this video if you weren't there to get it. And if that, if that, and that's fine. So maybe by, I would ask this question. If the cameraman published the video on Twitter and she retweets it and it gets the publicity that it gets, is that wrong? If the news director from ABC, Channel 6 ABC, publishes it and she retweets it, is that wrong? Like, I mean, I, so I don't... I don't think that there's, I think we're really kind of nitpicking with the publishing of the video. As far as the video is still going on, yeah, I, I question why that camera was still rolling. Um, they, he had obviously taken it off his shoulder. The, the lights had gone off. He's holding it down by his waist, as you can see by the angle that's shot. I mean, you see right up in my grill, right? I mean, so you, you know where that camera is being held at that point. And... He does turn and, and walk away, but it's still recording as he's turning and walking away. Was it an accident that he left him? I mean, there's there's some questions we need to, that we don't we may never know the answer to in that regard. Um, so in that vein, I'm not certain if the video ever should have come out. And I disagree with Kyle. I completely disagree with Kyle. There's, there is no protecting the sanctity of the locker room. It's a matter of protecting the sanctity of relationships that you have to develop with players, with coaches, etc. That a lot of times, if they're going to trust you and talk to you off the record about things, 
and create that relationship that all of a sudden, if this stuff gets out, then that, that breaks that trust. That breaks that trust. And you know, I'll say this, and you know, just as a response to Kyle, Kyle's been joking in our Slack channel saying, you know, Ant's going to win a Pulitzer this year for all the flyer stuff that I've been breaking, right? I mean, he's just kind of jokingly saying that. Well, guess what? I don't break any of the flyer stuff I break if I tell every story that is told to me, you know, off record. If I share that, if, or if I have the conversations I have, the yelling I have on the phone with the flyers when they call and complain about stuff that we talk about on Snow the Goalie, when they call and bitch about Russ or bitch about Chris Terrian. If I share any of that, I'm serious. If I share those exchanges, I'm not going to get the information that I get. So it's a, it's a two-way street. And this is where I think Kyle loses focus on that. I understand he wants everything to be transparent. I get yeah, it. Well, his perspective, too, is that that access sort of dilutes some of the honesty, right? Like, I can tell you in the last few years, there have been times where I probably would have been critical of not so much the team. I'm, I'm usually critical of the play on the field, but there are things that I've, I've observed, whether it's media, people that are working down there. There's, like, shots that kind of can be taken, and, you know, I've seen where we've had conversations in that Slack, like, oh, do you want to run this story? Do you want to take this shot? And I'm like, guys, like, come on, man. Like, I got to go down there. I got to work with these people. And whether it's the, the, the team itself or some of the people covering the media covering the team, it does, it, it puts you in a little bit of a weird spot. Um, and so his, his, one of his points is that that access can sort of dilute, like you said, tra transparency and honesty and some of that edginess that Crossing Broads had over the years that sort of set it apart. And, and I will concede this. I, I will tell you that I, I go down there now and I'm not there every game. I'll probably end up doing 50 of the 80 games, uh, the 50 of the 80 home games this year, maybe 45. And... I will go down and I'll always listen to the manager after the game. Sometimes, though, you know how it goes. Like, you're in there and you listen to the manager and then you, you break and you can make a decision. You know, you could go back upstairs if you want to or you could follow into the, into the clubhouse. I found myself a lot of times this year going, like, I've already written what I, I wanted to, you know, put down and publish. I don't need to hear this. And so, like, yesterday I went in after the game and we're talking to Bailey Falter. We wait. 27 minutes to have Bailey Falter come out after the game, who was not very good because he's Bailey Falter. And, you know, he goes five innings and he gets tatted all over the field. It wasn't a good start. And we're in there asking Bailey Falter, and this is no, no criticism of the reporters in there, but, like, I think that what we asked was, um, you know, would you like to go deeper into games? Um, are you worried about the trade deadline? Like, obviously this team needs more pitching. What does that mean for you? And like, I, like, I'm not going to get anything out of that. Like, so I feel like 90% of the stuff down there, I find to be generally useless. And frankly, I think I've in the past fallen into traps where I'm like, okay, here's a quote. Let me transcribe it. And then let me build some text around it. And it just isn't that interesting. Now, if you're Gelb, you're Salisbury, those guys, they get, like, different different access. Like, they do. Like, and you, you know, and I'm not, like, being critical of that either, but, like, those guys, they just get different access. They, they were given stuff. They've been given stuff in the past. Like, they've been given opportunities to get stuff in the past that the rest of the crowd doesn't get. And, and testament to them because they've been around, they network, they do it. Like, that's on them. Like, kudos to them for being in a position to get that stuff. But... If I'm not getting that stuff, and I'm going to listen to Bailey Falter talk about how, like, yeah, he'd like to go deeper into games, 
by and large, me going down to that clubhouse, and, like, I guarantee you some of the Phillies PR guys are going to listen to this, so, like, don't take my access away, but, like, by and large, it's kind of useless to me. I find that it actually probably hurts my writing. I mean, and I and I get that, I get that, Bob. And I, but I, my argument would be that, and I and I don't disagree with you that those guys, you know, Zalecki and and and, uh, and, and let me and, just say that's all me. Skinny. Like I'm not at spring training. Yeah. I don't network. I didn't yeah. build those relationships. I'm not that aggressive when I'm right. down there. Like this is me kind of almost being just honest about my own performance. You know, like I think that what I'm good at though is watching baseball and telling you what I see on the field. I think that that's my service right. that, that I think, not that I'm better at it than other people, but I think that's what I'm good at. I don't need right, to tell fair. the I narrative agree. about, you know, Jim, Jim wrote a piece about Derek Hall and like growing up and, um, you know, uh, influences on his life. Like that's a great story. And like fans are going to be interested in that. That's awesome. But like, that's not what I do. It's not what I'm good at. Right. Nor, nor is that what people are coming across right. and brought for. And that's a big so, I mean, part. So, of it. Let's be that's honest. That's a big part of it. No, let's be let's, let's be honest. We got we have we have a different audience, right? I mean, so yeah, they want analysis, they want critical analysis, and they want they want real a real breakdown of it from a from the sport perspective, um, and maybe with a little bit of a little bit of you know snark because I mean that's what we do, right? And that's okay. Um, so it's it's knowing your audience. So so you admitting that is not it's not wrong. Like it's not wrong. But I will say this. Having covered all four sports in this city, major sports, I'm, I want to say five, the union, okay, whatever. Five for five. I'll, I'll, throw them, I'll throw that in for you, Kincaid. Um, but having covered the four majors, the Phillies is the only situation I've ever seen, ever, where specific writers are treated differently than others. And really treated, like, there are some in some sports where it's quiet, it's not as, it's not as, it's not as evident, like maybe it's they behind the scenes or you get a text or you get an email, whatever. There is an open, we go to Todd, we go to Jim, we go to Matt, and nobody else is hearing this, and these quiet conversations are happening. And you used to see it all the time um, in the past. I mean, obviously things have changed. Kevin Gregg is the PR guy now, but in, the, in years past when Greg, Greg Castriato was there, he would just openly walk up to those guys yeah. specifically and have quiet conversations with them, and we're all just kind of standing around like, "Yeah, you gonna tell us? Like, what do you got? Th- what do you got? You gonna tell us too?" And it doesn't happen. So, I mean, it's it's the, it's a weird dynamic that is blatantly obvious, and it's and I don't understand why that happens in baseball. Maybe it's one of those, you know, old 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 traditions in the sport. And, and I've seen and, and that. Treat, I've seen and, that happen as well. And like, listen, I mean, Todd's been there for uh, Todd's lucky. He's been there for almost twenty years. Gelb's been doing it for a decade. You know, and these are guys that, yeah. just as objectively speaking, like I told you, like I started in what twenty nineteen covering the team, going down there, and all that. I mean, these are guys that I read before I was doing this, and I'm like, these guys are good writers. Like, they're I read them, I find them interesting. Like, so again, like I don't. Yeah. While I don't feel the need to protect these guys, I also don't want to be like I'm not trying to be overly critical here either but it is like a, a, a systemic thing where like you go down there and you're like all right i'm here like you got like i used to get there at three o'clock like you said like oh you know managers available pre-game watching guys take bp you're sitting in the dugout you're standing on the field and i'm like okay like this is fine but like you said there was like selective access and i'm like well if i'm not getting that 
and and not that I deserve it. Maybe it's on me for not figuring out a way to get it. But like, if I'm not getting that, then what am I really doing here? So, mm-hmm. you know, I just it's interesting. It's it's interesting. Just talking it's about a, it's a, it's a unique it's a unique sport in that way. It's unique in that way. I can tell you, the other sports don't. It's not like that. The other sports, I, I I really like the way football does it the best. In all honesty. They have their set times each week for press conferences, but when they open the locker room, it's have at it, boys. 50 minutes, go wherever you want to go. Talk to whoever you want to talk to. And, and that's how you do it. You go and you, you don't have to, you can follow the scrum around, you can go do your own thing, whatever you want to do, but that's on you as the reporter. And I think that, I think that that's, that's really kind of the best way to, to handle it. Um, and maybe that's why the NFL is what it is, right? I mean, they, they give they give different kind of access in that way, and everybody's got equal access. Um, so let me let me rapid so, fire this at you real quick, okay? Yeah. Right or wrong, Jim Salisbury. Right. I mean, well, wait, let, in the in the line of yeah. questioning or the line of questioning, hundred percent right. Jim Salisbury right. after the fact. I would I would not have done it with other people okay. in the room. Um, I would have asked. I would have. I would have gone to. I would have gone to Kevin Gregg and said, "Can I hang hang back for a minute and have a just quick conversation with you okay. and Nick, with everybody else gone?" That's what I would have done. And 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 yeah. But so he was. I think he was a little quick. To right or wrong, Nick Castellanos. He's an athlete. He, he can answer it anywhere he wants. Right. He can answer the question every once and wants to answer it. Right. If he wants to, I mean, it's a, it's going to depend on. He can answer whatever he wants. The reaction yeah, like, based on in the all of this, the one thing I haven't really had an issue with at all is Nick Castellanos' response. Like, he can answer the question yeah. however the hell he wants to. Um, right. right or wrong, 6ABC uh, slash Jamie Apodi. I don't have a problem with Jamie posting it, but at the same time, I do, quite, I do think that that's something that the news director there, sports director, should have probably thought, should we be putting this out? Because it was it was definitely after the line of questions were over. And a little bit more complicated, right or wrong, Matt Gelb. I think Matt's wrong. Okay. I think Matt's I, I think Matt's wrong in this case. A, he was way over the top in what he said about Jamie, who's been in this market for many years and does things. She does it she does her job the way she's supposed to do her job, which is different than the way we do our jobs. So Matt's wrong in that. And then he's also wrong to criticize her for not being there when he wasn't there. And, and saying, come down, come talk to me at the ballpark. Like, you can't, you can't have that attitude. You can't be I, – I just think Matt was completely wrong. And in, so in that kind of puts a nice little bell on all that, except uh, I always like to take an opportunity to talk about this particular media person. So for all of you out there that say that all these media people defend all of these media people, I do want to quickly hit on Michael Barkan, who uh, <laughs> I have had some, some problems with over the last year, uh, though he – to what degree he knows or is willing to acknowledge it, I don't know. I've talked to some people off the record that'll tell you that Michael Barkan is a, is a good guy, and I don't know that to be untrue. Um, but what I can tell you is that last year, there were certain things that came out of my Twitter account that then soon came onto his Twitter feed, and I thought that that was very bizarre. Um, some of the stuff that I tweeted out soon showed up on some of the programming that they do over there. And, like, I don't own these stats. Like, I don't own these trends that I tweet out. You can do whatever you want with them. But I just thought that there was one particular case. It was sometime, like I want to say last July, there was an instance where, and I think we even talked about it on this show, I just said, damn, that, that's pretty weird. And it draws back to a larger issue that there has been plenty of times 
in this market, the last number of years, that Crossing Broad tweets something, writes something, and it gets talked about at a, a wider, higher level, and there's no acknowledgement, there's no credit. And if that happened to any other outlet or any other set of, of writers, there would be a, a big deal made about it. But we just kind of take it and eat it and say that's what it is and, and so be it. So yesterday, Michael Barkan, who growing up, watching Daily News Live, like if you wanted to be a sports writer, you wanted to get into this business and you're in your t late 20s, mid 30s, somewhere in that range, you watched all these guys on television. And Michael Barkan, I thought was highly entertaining. I thought he did a great job on Daily News Live. He made Comcast Sportsnet what it was, helped make it what it was in part. I don't know what the hell's happened the last few years, but it's just this, you know, hot takes, over the top, all the time. It comes across as completely disingenuous. And I understand that Jim Salisbury works for NBC Sports Philadelphia. And I understand that, you know, Michael probably really likes Jim and that there's, there's relationships there and defending people that you work with. And that's all fine and well. But I, I got to say, yesterday... There were a series of tweets that he put out there, like, oh, you want to be the big boy, $100 million man, then, like, you've got to own this, and okay, like, that's fine, I guess. But he tweeted one thing in particular that he later then deleted. I would assume that someone called him and said, what the hell are you doing? Because it makes you look like a stone-cold moron. And he tweets, yeah, really, but whatever you do, don't criticize little Nicky. Him might get his whittle feelings hurt. Dot, dot, dot. And obviously, this gets like 100 retweets and people are responding to it left and right. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, he just comes across like an absolute clown. And for the five people that have told me he's a pretty good guy, like, that's great. I can only go by my own, I guess, it's, it's by proximity almost, but my own experience. And then what I've just seen from him the last couple of years, I don't get it. And I don't get that post-game show half the time with the, you know, it's the end of the world after every single game. The whole thing, like, you want to talk about a guy that, like, I've just completely just um, out on? It's Michael Barkan. So I'm going to be one of those people who tells you Michael's a really good guy, and I'm also going to be one of those people who agrees with you that Michael has completely gone off the rails the last five years. Um, uh, he's a wonderful human being. I, I, I've had nothing, I've nothing but respect for him and what he's done in his career, what he does in his community. Um, how good he is to people outside of the business, okay? Michael is a very genuinely good person. And you're right. When Daily News Live was the show, he was the best facilitator ever. I, that guy was so good at switching, you know, going from personality to personality and managing the show and keeping it moving at a high pace and was just, he was on point most of the time. When, when, when NBC switched to this pre and post only, no other kind of content besides this really other than the games themselves, and, and he became kind of the only guy who was hosting everything, all of a sudden it became like, the, like you said, it's the end of the world with every loss and it's a championship with every win and it doesn't matter which sport you're talking about. They're like that. It grates on you more in baseball because there's so many more games. 
And it's like, okay, look, they lost a game. It's, it's, there's 162 games. They lost one. They're going to lose 70, 80. It doesn't make a difference. Just relax. Calm down. You know, or they win a game. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, they're going to win 75 to 85, 90 games. It's going to happen. Let's, let's calm down. But it's, there is no calm down with Michael anymore. Michael is just, he is a caricature of himself. So do you think that, and it do you think it's, it's him reaching his, his later years trying to reinvent himself to stay relevant? Do you think it's him assessing what sports media is these days and seeing the success of shows like First Take and, you know, Speak for Yourself and all these other bullshit debate shows? Or do you think it's NBC Sports Philadelphia at some higher level? Or not NBC Sports Philadelphia, but even NBC Sports saying, hey, from a regional perspective, we need more We need more of this. We need you to be more viral. We need you to, you know, get people talking a little bit more. What is this? Because I watch it and I, yeah. I, I genuinely question it. I do. I, I do think it's an, I do think it's a management decision. I think it's an executive decision. I'm not certain it goes national. I think it could be, you know, the people who are running the R, you know, the RSN here in, in Philly. And I think that they look at it and say, well, our ratings are, are decent, so it must be because of this hot takiness that we're going with, rather than, no, people are just interested in conversation about the ball club or about the basketball team or about the hockey team or after an Eagles game. And they just want to hear people talking about it and discussing it. If you have it... If you had a more measured show, I still think your ratings would be the same. So like, I don't think that it has one has to do with the other, anything to do with the other. But I think they believe that the the the, you know, the firebrand mentality of talking heads yelling back and forth is what but makes it good. But at the same good. time, and then I wonder, I, I and, and full disclosure, it. like I'm not Mr. Sixers. Like I'm a Philadelphia sports fan at heart. I love the Eagles. If you're watching this on YouTube, you see all this crap behind me. Like, love the Eagles. So, and I understand the way the, the NFL ebbs and flows. So, like, I get that overreaction. Every Eagles fan, every football fan does that. And and so I would allow for that uh, to a greater extent. I don't follow the Flyers. I don't know, you know, what that looks like. But I would imagine it's not to the same level. And, you know, I watch Amy Fadul do postgame, or Amy Fadul Kane do postgame with the Sixers, and I don't see that with her. And, and like, again, like, I don't, mean to make this a personal thing i'm trying to be as objective about this as possible like there are a lot of good people that work for nbc sports philadelphia really Corey seidman he does a great job you know we talked about jim earlier jim does a good job you know reuben frank does a good job like there's a lot of you know probably great people there that do nice work and all that stuff so i'm not trying to like bring the hammer down here and, and, and be a jackass but i just look at him and i go it seems to be him you know and and in baseball it definitely plays in a totally different fashion. I mean, it, it's it just like I said, it's totally disingenuous. Well, because and again, I think it's because Bobby, you cannot go game to game and be like that in baseball. You you have to take baseball in chunks. It, it, it just because of how long the season is, and and so they're taking that football mentality. Which you're right, you can be a little bit more over the top in football because it's once a week. And there's only 17 weeks, right? So, or 18 weeks now. So there's only 18 weeks of a season. So there's, you know, there's only only 18 times can you react. Okay, fine. If you want to be a little over the top, I get it. Baseball man, 162. Calm down. You got to look at it in different se- segments of the season. Look, we're gonna we're gonna get into the Phillies. I think here. I think we're gonna get into the Phillies here. Um, and there's no doubt losing three games to the Cubs this weekend is not a good thing. 
but does it completely bury the Phillies? No, not at all. They can still come back from this. This is not a. This is not the end of the world. But if you watch, well, they only had the one the one post game show on Saturday night, obviously because it was on Apple TV. And the end of the world, no less. Weekend. Might 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 add. Yeah. How did how did anybody get yeah. their baseball this weekend with two streaming? I know, games? I know. Um, but if you were to watch, I mean, yeah, they, they're probably going nuts about it. And I'm sure we'll watch pregame tonight against the Braves, and they'll be they'll be, you know, this is the, they, they better come figure out a way to beat the Braves or else the season's over. Series. If think, they don't win this series, then they're they're pretenders. Because I believe Michael has said that the season's over. Well, I will tell you this: year. like, I mean, I'm I'm you know like guilty of that to some extent. Back on Memorial Day, I was like, they're probably screwed. And, you know, last Thursday I was on WIP and, and talking about, like, hey, listen, they swept the Marlins. I thought that was really important for this team. They have an opportunity here to get out of the gate in the second half and play good baseball. I expect them to do it. They obviously did not. Um, how do I feel about the Phillies this morning? Not great. If you've been listening to this show over the course of time, you know that when things are going well, it's easy to kind of feel good about what you're watching. Um so, you know, like, listen, I mean, I, I do it. I wrote for after Friday night, like, listen, this is one loss. It's not the end of the world. That being said, like, the Phillies need some clear upgrades here. Like, they have to get better with their rotation. They probably should add to the bullpen. Why is Jerry's Familia still here? You know, you need to go get a left-handed bat. Like, these are all things that I felt like after the Marlins series. So, you know, when you watch guys slam the, the cancel the season button 24 times a year, it's just... It's exhausting. So that's my my rant on that. And I just felt like we watched a Pody Gelb, Salisbury Castellanos, a lot of media people jumping in, defending, criticizing. And then here comes Michael Barkan from the outside. Someone compared it to like Royal Rumble yesterday. Like, oh, now here comes someone else into the fray. Like, it was just, that was the one of all of them though. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, like, this has nothing to do with you. Just be quiet. Like, and, and just the manner in which he, he went about it. So I think that that puts finally a bow 49 minutes later on uh, Mediagate here in Philadelphia over the weekend. We had two streaming games. The Phillies were terrible. It's 114 degrees all weekend. Just an absolute vintage weekend of misery in the city of Philadelphia on almost all fronts. Twitter was absolutely intolerable for the last 36 hours. Horrible. So I guess let's use that as a jumping off point and quickly talk about the Phillies. I imagine we probably have at least 20 minutes of this in us uh, as we approach the 50-minute mark of this podcast. Obviously, look, man, it was a, it was a disastrous week, and the Cubs entered losers 9 out of 10, uh, and they were 22 games under 500. I think it was tweeted out that this is the first time the Phillies were swept at home by the Cubs in, I believe, like 22 years uh, it had been a very long time, I believe five seasons since they were swept by a team that was more than 20 games under 500 entering a series. The Phillies couldn't play defensive points. They sure as hell didn't hit. Uh, and the, the starting pitching in, in two of the games left a lot to be desired. So I don't think the season's over. I actually think the Phillies are going to make the playoffs still. I think that they're going to add. Um, but God, what a what a miserable weekend of baseball that was so like what's your takeaway like at the at the highest levels here before we dive deeper into this yeah well, i think you nailed it bob i mean I, I would i would focus more on on the hitting at this point than anything else i mean yeah obviously you know two starts weren't great um 
you know, Gibson actually was fine, what, the, through the first couple first of innings? Three innings, he was pretty good. Excuse me. And then all of a sudden, it just, just fell off the table. Um, and then the bullpen was not great behind him. Um, so, like, you know, I look at that Friday game, you lose 15 to 2, and it's like, all right, those games happen. Every once in a while, those kind of games happen. I, that one didn't bother me. The game Saturday is the one that bothers me, and it bothers me because Wheeler pitches great. Um, uh, the bullpen, for the most part, pitched really well. I mean, Brad Hand struggled a little bit, but then Brogdon comes in and gets a huge out. Dominguez is dominant. And even Alvarado, who gets the loss and he allows the five runs in the 10th inning, um, all, weak, all that contact was weak contact. Nobody hit the ball hard off of him, right? So, and, and the defense is what, what ends up costing them in the, in the 10th inning. But they had opportunities in that game throughout the game to really put it away, put the Cubs away, and they just, they just blew it. I, I saved the box score because I wanted to just kind of look at it. They hit, a, they hit into a double play in the second inning, right? They had two runners on. They, had, uh, they got picked off. Uh, in the, Boom gets picked off in the third inning. You had two runners on in the fifth. You had two runners on with nobody out in the seventh, can't get a bunt down, and then there's a double play. Um, you, you, know, you, had a, you had Matt Veerling with a leadoff Hit, gets the third base, and you go strikeout, ground out, strikeout, can't get him home in the eighth. Those situations, any one of them, if any one of them produces one run, yeah. you win the game. And, that's, and so, like, to me, that's where the, the, the crux of this matter is. And then, of course, yesterday, Sunday, Falter doesn't look good, right? Gives up, he gets, but then they, don't, they didn't give up anything else. Bullpen yeah, bullpen goes four nice shutout job. innings. And, and listen... But where's the lineup until the until the? Yeah, until I mean, the one of the, the runs game. they scored. They were one of the runs they missing. scored because the Cubs said, "Here's five outs." I think it was the sixth inning. It was yeah. right in the middle of the game. It was like, "Here you go. Like we're gonna drop two pop ups. So here's two free outs on top of the three, and they they get one run out of it." Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, I think that we've talked enough about like all of the different issues that this team has, and we saw Alec Bohm play some shoddy defense on Saturday night. He's swinging the bat better. Average is up over 280. The OPS, I think, has finally climbed up over 700. There, there's, like, things here where I just go, it's not the end of the world. Like, I think I, that everyone could probably appreciate some some breath of, of positive spin on this thing. And so I'll just give you a few positives. You talked about the bullpen. Bullpen, I know some of the numbers were a little bit shaky this weekend, but I thought the bullpen did a really nice job and has continued to pitch very well. And by and large... I feel pretty good when most of these guys are in the game right now. Like, I feel like that there's some level of trust or belief that, that most of these guys are going to get the job done right now. So I think that's a nice starting point. I really like, I really like the starting pitching to an extent. And again, I'm going to be positive here, so we'll come back to the, the butt part of this in a, a couple minutes. And I really like the way that Alec Bohm is, is sort of recovered offensively. He's not a, a star. There's criticisms of his offensive game. But you just look at what he's done now this month. I mean, I believe his OPS in July is over 1,000 right now. And so, I, he, all of a sudden, he all of a sudden yeah, he became Tony Gwynn. Yeah, I know. What happened? I mean, he's hitting the. He's, it's hit after hit after yeah. hit. Opposite field. That's what he did. Like, it's what he did in 2020. I think I put it's exactly rush. what he did in 2020. A lot of other way, all fields. I, I, it's, it's, yeah, I, I put it in my story on um, Saturday uh, after Saturday's game, and then of course he had another what, another two hits yesterday. Um, was that yeah, two yeah, yesterday or just yesterday. the one yesterday? I don't know. Yeah, two. I think it's two hits yesterday, right? 
So I mean, he was. I think he was. I think he was hitting three sixty one after after Saturday. So he probably bumps that up even higher. And that's since Harper's injury. So you're going back over a month now. It's pretty good. That's a pretty good yeah, stretch. Yeah, I mean, he's he's done a great job. I mean, here you go. In, in July, he is hitting as I bring it up here four hundred. He has a one point zero four zero OPS in the month of July. So. There's a lot to feel good about yeah. there. It, obviously, defensively, Saturday night he was he was a killer, a uh, big part of that loss. But again, you know, we talk about oh, he's made some improvements. He's not an average defender. He's not a plus defender, but he's made himself functional. Whereas, not every single time there's a ground ball hit the third base, you go Jesus, like what's going to happen here? And so, like, there's been incremental progress in that regard. So I feel like you feel pretty good about him right now where he's at. I think that you have to feel pretty good about JT Realmuto. Like, he's taken more criticism than probably anybody on this team. But you go back to when Bryce Harper got hurt, yeah. that series against the Padres, and you jump it forward. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but he's over 315. The OPS is around 1,000. He's been that guy that you've needed him to be since Harper went down. He's not an elite offensive player. He's not going to hit 40 home runs for you. But you give that type of production with the defense that he's played lately – and you have to feel really good about where the, he's at and the path that he's on. He has, I think, stabilized his season. I think that, that this season looked like it was a, an utter disaster for him seven, eight weeks ago. And he's done a, a nice enough job here to the point where you say, yeah, I think he's, he's been okay overall. This is why I was suggesting maybe you take these two guys who are hitting um, and hitting and getting on base and have nice OPSs like Real Muto and Bohm. Put the two of them at the top of your lineup. And then you could put uh, Schwarber and Hall and Castellanos in the middle. And although they're not hitting, maybe they can knock in some more runs. When, and Hoskins, when they hit the home run. I mean, Schwarber's got 10 home runs in a month, but he's batting 170. And, and Hoskins has six home runs and seven RBIs. Like, okay, if they're not producing otherwise put people on base so that way if they hit home runs, you're getting more runs out of it. Again, I'm not saying this is a long-term thing. I do this for a couple weeks until, obviously, Segura's back or, and then Harper's back. I mean, those things will change, obviously, the lineup altogether. But in the interim, I don't see why, it would make, why you wouldn't give it a shot to go real muto bone to start your lineup and put the power bats in the middle. Yeah, and I know we had this debate earlier, probably about three, four weeks ago. They were winning games. They were doing just enough. He was red hot, Kyle Schwarber, and I said, just don't mess with it. You know, if it's going this well, don't mess with it. Well, now we've reached the point where it's not going well. And one of the notes you made is, like, you look at their runs per game over the last, um, like, 10 games or so, and you go, okay, wow, they're averaging, like, four, a little over four runs per game. But as you noted, they've only scored more than four runs one time. Yeah. So that was on the strength of a 10 nothing blowout against Miami last Saturday. So the offense isn't working right now. And in fact, I think that's what you titled your game story uh, after, after Saturday night. It's not working. So you have to do something. We saw some adjustments made in Sunday's lineup. It didn't really pay huge dividends. I think that they're going to continue to try to toy with this thing until they figure out something that, that kind of stabilizes this offense a little bit. I mean, listen, it's ugly right now. And Kyle Schwarber, you talk about how hot he was in, in June. I believe he has seven home runs in the month of July, and that's all fine and well, but you go back and look at his last 54 at-bats right now, and he's got four hits. He's hitting 205 this season. The thing that's kind of, I think, made it not seem as bad as it really is, because he's not walking either. He's not getting on base. The on-base percentage is well below 300. Um, in fact, I believe it's like 
220 to 30, something like that, mm -hmm. over the last, you know, uh, I think during the month of July. Yeah. Um, but he has three home runs. Three of his four hits in those 54 at-bats are home runs, and you go, oh, he's hitting, he's on pace for 50 home runs. He's player of the month in June. He was an all-star, and so you feel really good about his season. And I think that, that overall, if you knew that you were going to get what you've gotten out of Kyle Schwarber, you'd still do this deal. And I listened to him talk after the game. He talked at length about, we're not chasing ghosts, he said. This is a good team. We know that we can win. We know that we're getting reinforcements. We just have to, you know, kind of remember that we were winning all of these games not so long ago. We can get back to that. And I think that he really does have a mentality um, and a presence that this team lacked in past years. So I think that there's a lot of intangibles that will help here long, uh, long term. But it's been ugly right now, and, and there's no coincidence that as he's gone ice cold, this Phillies offense has really began to struggle because there's just not that much to it. And I think that that is my concern when I watch this lineup right now. Bryson Stott's overall numbers have not been very good. I think that he's been much better lately. I think his strike zone, his command of the strike zone has been vastly improved. I think that you know the numbers over the last few weeks are vastly better. Um, I think I, he's I like getting there. I like I like his I like his patience at the plate. He's had a couple of big walks. Yeah, it's funny to talk about walks, but I mean he yeah. was a guy who was a little bit of a free swinger earlier in the year, and now he's really become more selective. And I think that's what's helping. We'd be talking about that right now if the Phillies would have won that game yesterday. I mean they yeah. had a little rally going there in the ninth inning, and it's because he had a good at bat and worked his way on. He had a really good at bat Saturday night late in the game, and I had tweeted about that. So you know I'm really starting to see some development here and that's what you want like yeah he's hitting 190 right now and you don't feel great about that but I really think he's getting there I it's so easy to just kind of um you know fall fall in love with results and kind of be captive by results but you see just these little things in his game where there's definitely a progression there but you look at the lineup and as a whole right now and there's just so many automatic outs Didi Gregorius is an absolute mess the whole thing that we just started this conversation with for 45 minutes about the media was about Nick Castellanos. I mean, he's been an utter disaster. And I know he had a hit yesterday in yesterday's game, but it's the same thing where, you know, it's it's flicking the ball out to right field. Like, I know you can do that to keep your average around 240, 250, but at some point, yes, like yesterday in the ninth inning, David Robertson's in the game, and he gets a 3-1 center-cut fastball that he could just pummel. And he swings through it, and then he fouls out. And you're just like, come on, man. Like, there, he's been, he has been so, so disappointing. He's been so bad. And so when guys like that aren't getting it done, Schwarber's ice cold, Hoskins is kind of feeling his way through it right now. You look at guys like Didi Gregorius, I mean, it's ugly. It's ugly. I, I actually think that they're reaching the point where Gene Segura is probably coming back in the next 10 days and I, I think it's going to be wholly or should be wholly at the expense of Didi Gregorius' playing time. Yeah, you're probably going to put move Stott over to shortstop at that point, right? But I, this begs a question, Bob, and I was actually going to make this one last thing because, um, you know, I like to promote myself. Um, <laughs> but I'll ask you now. We don't need to do one last thing today. We can, we can do one last thing a little early. Um, is shortstop a... Uh, Bigger need for this team right now than anything besides maybe a starting pitcher? Well, you can argue it. If you believe that Bryson Stott needs this, this playing time, this experience going down the stretch, and you do think he's getting better, then I'd say no. But 
this team needs another bat. Like, it's very obvious that this team needs another bat. So if it's, if it's not going to be in center field, then it has to be somewhere on the left side of that infield. Now, we've talked about Alec Boehm and how he's probably done enough that it's not that that you're going to make a change on. So then, yeah, it brings you to shortstop. I don't know. I really don't. I mean, it really comes down to how much do you trust Bryson Stott? What is the market for shortstops? I know you had an interesting name that you put in your story on Saturday night. But yes, I think that is one avenue that the Phillies could explore over the next 10 days or so, or 8 days, whatever it is, to, to upgrade this team. So yeah, so I had mentioned Jose Iglesias, Colorado. Uh, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He's 32 years old. Um, he's not a great defensive player, but he's mi- like kind of middle of the pack among shortstops this year. But he's significantly better than Didi. Um, he's hitting 300. I think it was 299 when I wrote the story. Um, so you know you got a guy who's can get on base. Um, and, and oh, by the way, he's played for Dombrowski before, and Dombrowski traded for him at the deadline before. Um, and I guess you're right. I guess the question is. Do you go that route and, you know, continue to sprinkle Stott in when you can, um, you know, kind of, you know, contr- manage him a little, bit be- a little bit more rather than make him play every, every day um, if, as you're in a pennant race? Because, I mean, again, like you said, he's been better. And, and since Harper went out, 21 games, hitting 254, 359 on base, 747 OPS. So that's solid. Um, it is only 78 plate appearances. Uh, so you sit there and say, okay, is that a guy that you can, you know, they're not really making him play against lefties. Um, do you, do you stick with that and say, that's, that's who we're making a playoff push with, or does he kind of become like kind of just a utility guy? So maybe you've seen enough of Bryson this year to kind of say, Hey, this was a good first year for him, a good developmental year. But now as we're down the stretch, when these games matter most, we'll make him a little bit more, pull back a little bit, make him more of a rotational guy that we put in in spots where we feel comfortable that he can that he can be successful rather than ask him to continue to grow as we're trying to make the playoffs. And you bring in a veteran guy to kind of play on the other side. So maybe that's something you do. I, I think shortstop is a very important position for them down the stretch, and I'd like to see them upgrade that if possible. Yeah, I, I, I can get behind that. I, I think that there's still an opportunity for Bryson Stott to play, even if you do add the shortstop. I mean, Gene Segura is a guy that had missed substantial time here. So is he coming back and playing every single game down the stretch? I think that that matters. It's a consideration. And then Alec Boehm, despite the, the recent resurgence here, probably could be spelled often enough where Bryson Stott still plays a couple times a week and is a part of it. So I, I think that's one way that they could go. I would tell you... As, as I, I think the Phillies have multiple needs, they do. Uh, shortstop is a consideration. I still believe that Matt Beerling can play a few times a week, but I think it would be great to add a left-handed bat that could play a competent center field as well. I don't know who that player is, but I think if you had to look at this team's needs right now, that would be a very big boost for it. I think that they need a starting pitcher. And believe it or not, of the four things that I'm talking about here, I would actually say a late-inning reliever has now become the the least of my concerns and not to say that they don't need one or that they wouldn't greatly benefit from another option but I just think that these other things are now becoming more important and I don't know how much ammunition the Phillies have to make a deal at the deadline how aggressive do they want to be and so if I just sort these things out I think I'm actually going starting pitcher 
center field shortstop reliever. Yeah, and the only way I switch it is I, I switch the shortstop and the center fielder at this point. I just think that I, I think you can get away with hiding your center fielder ninth in the lineup, whoever you put out there, whether it's Veerling, Herrera. I mean, as bad as Oduble's been lately, he's actually got the fifth best batting average on this team in the last month. That's think insane about, to me. Think about I, that. That is utterly insane to me. I, I can't <laughs> even remember. I, I feel like I haven't watched Oduble Herrera have a meaningful hit in six weeks. Yeah, yeah. 258 in uh, since Harper went out. And uh, that's the fifth best on the team. So, I mean, I, I, to me, I can look at that and say, all right, you know, whatever. I mean, I'd ra- I'll would i play Veerling more than Herrera, but if I have to play Herrera one or two games a week, I'm right. okay with that. I'd rather that than DD doing what DD's doing. Well, big news this week. I mean, the Phillies, to, to some extent, uh, even despite this series sweep, if you count the night that Bryce Harper went down, they're 12 and 11. Mm-hmm. So they have treaded water. It's disappointing, though. If you go back to the night he got hurt, you said, listen, for 23 games, they're, they're actually over 500. You'd probably say, okay, like, I'll take that. But they had made such ground going into Miami. You really felt like not only are they going to tread water, they're going to push themselves forward. And they, they didn't do it this, this past weekend. And now they play the Braves, who I believe are 35 and 11 since June 1st. They're 24 games over 500. They're pushing for a division uh, crown again, which is crazy considering the, the lead that the Mets built earlier this season. And the, all of a sudden, you just don't feel as good about where they're at. But they, they've, they've gotten themselves to a point here at the end of July, headed towards the trade deadline where they're still in it. But I say all of that to say we have a big week about Bryce Harper ahead of us. We, I think, are going to get a meaningful update on his progress and whether or not the pins will be removed from that thumb and probably start to get a better sense of what his timeline is. Because if Bryce Harper does not come back by Labor Day weekend, we can talk about all of these upgrades all we want, but he has to come back, and I think he has to come back in a meaningful way. I don't think you yeah. can do, like shell of himself playing at 60% Bryce Harper, which is still a clear upgrade over what they currently have. But they need a big-time difference maker of his his ilk, his caliber, to come in and help vault this team down the stretch. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I mean, absolutely, it's, you know, Harper's a, a huge part of this. Um, and I was actually kind of hoping, you said Labor Day, I was... That, that kind of make my heart sink a little bit. I was kind of actually hoping it would be sooner than that. Uh, uh, and I, I, I think that most fans are. I think that most fans are hoping it's the end of August, you know, another another four weeks of this maybe. I just think Labor Day is the – in my mind, it's like the worst-case scenario. Uh, but there's just – I think a lot will be determined uh, very shortly, probably as we're recording right now. Uh, I think that, that some of those, uh, those appointments are probably going on this morning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, Bob. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, and when he comes back, can he throw? Right. That's I don't thing. expect it. I really do think that this is going to be a DH-only thing. I have a, I have a very bad feeling about his, his availability as a defensive player, but maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. I don't think it's in the works. I actually think that the Phillies, have, have that ship has sailed. That's how I feel. But, man, man we'll see. Yeah. Well, All right, well, let's, uh, let's hit it on limiting. one last thing. Uh, I, hopefully it doesn't come across as you're listening to this, but we've had some tech difficulties, so I want to try to wrap this up before we have another one. Um, have to make further eff- uh, 
edits. Um, do, do you have anything on that front, or did we already kind of run through? I, we kind of, I was, I was, it was going to be the Iglesias thing. Okay. It was going to be my, it was going to be my one last thing. Would you? All right. Well, I, mean, I, I guess would. I mean, I, I, yeah, I would. Um, and and so for for that, I will say, uh, if you're not a media person, you didn't care about the first fifty minutes of this episode, you're just coming for some straight Phillies talk. I'm sorry, uh, I'm exhausted by this weekend. I was exhausted by the, the media bickering back and forth. Uh, I just don't think it's the the absolute crusher that a lot of people uh, did this past weekend, and I think, Anthony, you're on the same page. So it is a big series with the Braves here this week at Citizens Bank Park. Um, I, I do think that the Phillies need to try to stabilize here a little bit. I don't know that they're going to sweep the series. I don't know that they're going to win the series. But, boy, they better win at least one game in this series against this red-hot Braves team if, if – because I think the conversation heading into the trade deadline, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, I think it can change. I think the things can change over the next eight days. And if this thing goes totally off the rails, which I don't expect it to, it could change some of the conversations. You may not be adding multiple pieces come August 2nd. Wow. I never put it that way, Bob. I, never I mean, listen, that you, way. Lose, you lose, let's just say, worst case scenario here. What do you have, three with the Braves and four with the Pirates? Who are plucky, the Pirates are. They're not good, but, you know, the Phillies have struggled with the Pirates at times in recent years. <clears throat> one in, let's just say, you know, one in six over the next seven games. And, Whoa. you know, they're two games under 500 at the trade deadline. Like, yeah, well, I do, I do think that that changes the, the calculus of the situation a little bit. I don't no, expect I, that. I, I don't think that's what's going to happen, but it would. No, I, 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 think you're, I think your worst case scenario, worst case scenario, is three, th- three and four. I agree. I agree with that. I'm just presenting the the ultimate doomsday scenario, which yeah. I just feel a little bit differently about this team, and I know this weekend makes it a little, you know, it makes it more difficult to, to say this with confidence. But this team has showed resilience at points. They've they've every time you kind of think they're done or that they're they're taking that step back, they found a way to rebound. Um, and I just think that they aren't this team that's going to go into a full on collapse. Uh, Feel free to play this back in the beginning of October if it happens and tell me I'm an idiot, but I really do think that they're in this. I think that they will figure out a way to survive, and I think that you will get that interesting final month stretch drive of the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I look at this week, and I, I actually feel a little bit good about the Brave series, Bob. <laughs> and not to say, I mean, I'm, you know, I... Yeah. I, I kind of like I kind of like the matchup tonight. I think it's the one thing the Phillies are struggling. They have left-handed bats, but they do hit they do hit lefties. So you get Max Freed tonight. Not that he, I mean he's a good pitcher, but yeah, and Rangers been pitching well for the Phillies. They I, I need, they need a good start out of Ranger Suarez tonight. Really need a good start out of Suarez. Um, I, and then I like I like Nola tomorrow. The Wednesday game is the one that I'm not not so sold on. Um, but tonight's the key. I mean, tonight's a key one. You can get tonight. I think you, you they take the series, and I, I'm pretty confident. Look, I'm com- maybe I'm confident because I'm going out to Pittsburgh this weekend, taking my family out to watch uh, the boys and my dad, and take them out to. We're going to go to a couple games out there at PNC Park uh, Friday and Saturday night. Um, I think they're going to take three or four from the Pirates. All right. So, uh, so I, I look at it. I, th- I think it's going to be a five. I think they're going to be a five and two week. Worst four and three, well, but I they, think it's a five and. Th- if they have a five and two week and they're six games over five hundred at the uh, at the All Star break, or I'm sorry, at the trade deadline, uh, I think that everyone would be 
back on board and, and no harm, no foul this past weekend. So we'll see what happens. Exactly. All right, well, uh, we will discuss. I don't know when you're leaving. I, I guess we could go over this right now. When are you leaving? Can you do another show this week? <laughs> I'm, leaving, I'm leaving early Friday. Okay, so if you want, so to record then, thir- want to record Thursday, we can record Thursday. All right, well, hopefully we don't have any more media affairs to talk about, and we can make it a Strictly Phillies podcast on our next episode yeah. of Crossed Up. For Bob Wankel, myself, for Anthony Sanfilippo, uh, we will talk to everybody soon. Thanks for listening, and we'll check you.